Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And I'm Daryl Etherton. Every week, we review a new streaming show or movie. This week, we're going to be talking about Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out. In fact, the full title is Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery, which... Uh, premiered on Netflix at the end of last year. Uh, it was sort of got a lot of publicity when when they first signed the deal for this because it was reportedly more than $400 million that Netflix paid for this and for a third Knives Out movie. Um, wow. They're also oh, for two of them, though. For two, for two. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're also fairly standalone movies. I mean, in fact, I mean, Ryan Johnson, the writer director, has talked about the the idea that he wants this to be sort of similar to like Agatha Christie's uh, Hercule Poirot novels, where you can just pick any one of them and read them in any order. There's no need to have seen Knives Out before. But yeah. I mean, that said, um, had, had you guys seen Knives Out before this? Did that? Oh, yes. Were you fans of it? Yeah, I was. Big fan of Knives Out. Big fan. I didn't watch it. Wow. Interesting. Maybe we'll start with you then, Jordan. So having not seen the original Knives Out, uh, did this stand alone pretty well? Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I I would give it like a solid, like a A minus. Hmm. Like it was fun and it was good to watch. And like there were bits of it that I thought were great. I just wasn't like, it's not one of the ones where I'm like, oh, I can't wait to show other people this. And I would watch it again in six months. And I, you know, like it doesn't hit that top tier of like, I can't stop thinking about it kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I liked it. I had fun watching it. Interesting. So you didn't care about not having, you felt like Benoit Blanc or that's the name, right? Yeah. Benoit Blanc. That was just, you were like, I get it. I'm Daniel. I'm all in on this Daniel Craig vamping around. I don't know that I was like all in on him, but I just like, basically if you're so for my experience of it, which is without the context of the first one, uh-huh. when you're watching the second one, they're just like Benoit Blanc is a great detective and he's like sitting in the bathtub and he's like, Oh, I need to get back on a great case. And then he shows up on the Island and they're like, you're the best detective in the world. And like, that was, I was like, okay, well, those are the rules of the game. Mm, Right. He's the best detective in the world. Everybody knows that he's the best detective in the world. And that's the physics of this universe. And then I was just off to the races. Like I didn't need, And like all the previews say that it's like a murder mystery. So I was just like. Cool. All the information I require has been provided to me. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't, there wasn't, I guess it made me kind of curious about like this first movie, just because I know it got a lot of attention and I'd never seen it or anything, but I didn't feel, I don't know. Do you think that I should have felt lost? I didn't. Uh, Well, He's the only recurring character, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't feel like he should or shouldn't. I was just, um, just genuinely curious because I don't have that experience. I can't unsee knives out. No, you can't. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it, to me, yeah, theoretically, this movie should stand on its own completely. But it's hard for me to say that because I've seen the first one. Um, yeah. But I think you actually find out more about Benoit Blanc in this one than you do in the first one. In the first one, he really just shows up and has this ridiculous accent that's clearly Daniel Craig having a really good time. And um, you you really don't learn a lot about him here. You see a little bit more of his backstory, but still he's not really meant to, I think be a particularly deep character. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you get 
glimpses well you get like some domestic i guess uh but yeah yeah i don't know i think but i do and i will say uh i definitely preferred the first one of oh the wow two. interesting but hmm. yeah that's right i have no commentary obviously uh, yeah I think, I mean, we're, we're going to have to get into spoilers pretty quickly, I think, because it's just really hard to talk about the plot of this movie without getting into that. Um, but in broad non-spoiler strokes, I mean, the, I think the other commonality beyond the fact that, that Benoit Blanc is in both of them is that they're both murder mysteries and, and sort of set in, or at least centered on these very rich characters. Um, and... It, I think in some ways rich sort of like to... wealthy or rich like textured oh rich is like wealthy um and and I mean yeah. especially in this one I think it's it's actually a the one of the characters the the person who brings everyone together is Miles Braun played by Edward Norton and he is someone who got rich from a tech company which is maybe kind of like Facebook although also like in some ways seems even bigger than that and I think a lot of people have also compared um him to Elon Musk. Uh, mm -hmm. but I think he's sort of like a whole level of rich beyond the rich people in the, in the first movie. Um, and I liked this one better, partly because it felt like the, the, like the, the sort of the target of the satire felt a little bit more real to me in the sense of, I mean, and, and Ryan Johnson has talked about that it, in some ways it's just sort of an accident that this movie came out right as Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and everyone's like really pissed off at him. Um, and he isn't necessarily aiming it at one specific person, yeah. but that this kind of wealth seems much more present and much more dangerous than the wealth of a family <laughs> that got rich because the, the patriarch, wrote a, uh, you know, a series of successful mystery novels. Um, right. And, and, and so the types of people who they're targeted, who he's portraying here and, and making fun of to some extent, it feels like there's a little bit more teeth to the satire. So for that reason, I liked it more. I mean, I think from a plotting perspective, it's a little bit more ridiculous than the first one. And yeah, it just feels a little bit more over the top, which I, I had a good time with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was. It's weird because I think the, in some ways, I felt like the first one was more fun, despite being less kind of like I guess overtly fun. And then, um, it was like, I feel like the subject matter was a bit more serious in the first one. But then also, to your other point, like the social satire was less cutting in the first one and more cutting in this one but uh yeah i think maybe it's just down to because i think there's these things are a lot resting on the performance of the ensemble cast and i guess like mm -hmm. maybe i enjoyed some of the ensemble cast of the first one more than i enjoyed the ensemble cast of this one um in aggregate although i still think all the performances in this one were fun and um you know excellent but yeah yeah, I mean, I, I think that both movies have just this crazy, crazy ensemble. Um, Jordan, did any of the characters stand out to you? All of them stood out to me, it felt like. I mean, so uh, what's her name? They were in How to Lose Guy together. She's always a secondary character. Kate Hudson? 
No, Kate Hudson's never a secondary character. Oh, right. Um, yes, Catherine Hahn. Oh, is yeah. The goat. I just, I'm so obsessed with her. Every single thing she's in, she's so good at. I think they gave her a show and then they took it away because they were like, you're never going to be a main character. But I just think she's so funny and awesome. So she was one of my faves. Um, obviously, Birdie's an interesting character. I don't think they did nearly as much as they should have with Catherine Hahn, though. I feel oh, like yeah. she was very underused in this. But... I would hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's just such a impact player that there's no reason not to use the shit out of her. Um, and then obviously, Birdie's interesting. <laughs> obviously, the billionaire is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, like the scientist was kind of a relatively flat character, considering. And then, oh yeah, that's true. Mus- yeah. Muscle man, beefhead, was just Dave like Batista. Yeah, ultimately highly predictable. True, but I think pretty delightful too. In that it was like, I don't know, like what you see in the tin is what you get in a yeah. fun American way. Hmm. So yeah, I mean. I don't know. They're, they're all, I mean, that's the whole point of the show, right? Like the mystery mm-hmm. isn't all that interesting. It's like the, they put together this insane cast, even characters with like three lines have, are like Academy Award winning actors and actresses and stuff. So mm-hmm. there's not a face you don't recognize basically in the whole film, except for, was his name Daryl? Yeah. It was <laughs> not not spelled the same way as our Daryl, but but also a Daryl. Yeah. So, um, you know, other than him, everyone was very uh, familiar, and it was it was a great cast, and they all played interesting roles. I mean, I think that's the point of the movie. So, if that's the point of the movie, and I'm right, then mm-hmm. they did a great job. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. That definitely what ultimately what you take away from and what makes the movie fun or or if it if it doesn't work for anyone, it'll be because the cast. Um, I do think that the, the mystery is reasonably well constructed. And I think that that when you there are some like twists, which we'll talk about in spoilers that are pretty satisfying. So it's not like I think sometimes there are mystery movies or mystery stories where really you're not supposed to care about the mystery at all and you almost forget about it. Or, um, you know, it's just very un- almost un- in- intentionally unsatisfying. And this, I think, is meant to be pretty satisfying. And I did find it fairly satisfying, even if the things that make me recommend the movie are really not only kind of tangentially related to the mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I should just talk a little bit more about the the basic setup, which is so, again, Benoit Blanc is this uh, private uh, investigator, legendary detective, sort of Sherlock Holmes kind of figure, except again with this amazing Southern accent. Um, and uh, he, in in this film, basically, there's there's this character Miles Braun, super rich, and he has in and it's in the early days of COVID, so he has invited all of his friends to his private island for this weekend retreat, and they're all kind of friends who he knew before he got rich. But you can tell that there's sort of like this mix of like they now have these like business relationships and they depend on him in certain ways. Um, and, and they all come together on this island. Um, and, and Benoit Blanc has gotten a mysterious invitation as well. It's not clear why. Dun, dun, dun. 
but it raises and and and, and so Miles Braun is like, oh, I'm going to have this fun murder mystery where I pretend to be killed. And you have to figure out who did it. And there's this question of, oh, is someone really going to try to kill him? And actually, as I was summarizing, that did, you know, remind of one other, th- one other thing I wanted to bring up before we get into spoilers, which is just the COVID setting. And right. I liked the way they dealt with it, that it was, you know, set in this very specific time. And then the little mask thing at the at the start when they're all kind of meeting and discussing it or whatever and then they i like i think they handled it neatly and kind mm-hmm. of in a in a fun like it's hard to do that pull that off or it's like fun but they like managed to do it by having that weird neutralizing spray which they like that never address again but like it's like oh, oh yeah of course the COVID? rich people yeah 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 i actually thought it was done really well yeah i know me too that's what i'm saying yeah yeah Right. This idea essentially that let's acknowledge that this thing happened and, and that this and and then it also underlines how how rich and privileged he is. The fact that as soon as they get onto the island, COVID ceases to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they explain it. And in that narrative. he's basically had a secret <laughs> yeah. cure to it all <laughs> along. It's It's great. And it feeds the character overall and like that. Because I, I think they also achieve a lot with that, with like, we'll get into it in the spoilers and everything, but especially for us, and I'm curious to think or to hear more about what you guys think of it. Um, but for us who have worked in this area for quite a long time, like, hey, how does that strike you, right? The rich tech CEO, but we'll talk more about it in spoilers probably. Mm-hmm. Anything else we want to talk about before we get to spoilers? Um, I got nothing. No, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's good. I think the, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know how much I liked it, but then I thought like, yeah, I, when I watched it, I was kind of tired and that probably affected it. But then um, thinking back on it, I'm like, oh no, it was really enjoyable and light and like whatever. And I th- the, the thing that really drove it home for me was I listened to uh, another podcast Compete, well, not a competing podcast because they're a massive success, but uh, the- <laughs> a, a very successfully competing <laughs> podcast. Yeah, which is um, oh god, uh, oh shit, the bad movie podcast. What's that called? How did this get made? Not how did this get made. The other one, the Flop House. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, so the Flop House is a great podcast. If by some weird chance people listening to this podcast don't know about it, but um, they were talking about the latest Kenneth Branagh Agatha Christie mystery which is like for me the like this that's this is right in that ballpark right and it just sounded so horrible like aside from the fact that it uh like it's not their fault that it starred a person who then was like outed as essentially the worst person in the world Amy Army Hammer one of one of the worst people in the world that's being pretty facetious I guess but like the the fact there are that, lots of bad people. Yeah, there are lots of bad people with a really bad thing. Uh, Very competitive. I should say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Army Hammer is just garden variety bad. Okay, uh, so, well, sorry to Army know. Hammer. No, Trying I to don't eat hearts and stuff. I don't know. I mean, you know, we could do, we could have a whole podcast. We could have a whole sideshow. <laughs> right. Well, and then also you could go down that cast list and be like, "How do you feel about Gal Gadot? How do you feel about Letitia Wright?" I, yeah, we're no not going to do that. I know. It, um, but that that it just 
I've never, I haven't seen that, but the way that it was like, oh God, like this is so inexpertly made versus based on their, cause they go in in-depth on their descriptions and you're just like, this is a delight. If you're at all in the mood for this kind of thing, like there really is no competition for it in modern cinema, right? I saw the first of those uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Hercule Poirot movies, Murder on the yeah. Orient Express, which was fun, but there are, yeah, there are some really head clutching things about it. And everything I read about the second one just made it seem like all the things I didn't like would kind of right. be even worse this time around. Um, and so it, it does feel like this, the Knives Out movies are something that can kind of scratch that itch in a much smarter and more effective way. And I definitely really, really like both of them, but especially the second one. Um, I actually, so Netflix put this in theaters for a week and, and this is kind of the widest theatrical release they've ever done. They only did it for a week because I think probably something about the way they negotiated it with the movie theaters was mm -hmm. like, it was like one week and then there was like a, a gap of several weeks and then it went on, on Netflix, but that allowed them to put it in a lot more theaters. And, um, I, I really loved seeing it in, in a theater, um, I mean, I think it works perfectly well on, on Netflix too, but I hope Netflix does more stuff like that. Definitely recommend the movie. I'm very curious about what happens with the third film. Cause it does feel like now that we've seen two of them, there is a little bit of a formula. Right. And so hopefully he finds interesting ways to, to break out of that formula with the third one, but let, let's talk about that more in spoilers. So if you have not seen, um, glass onion, and you don't want to be spoiled. And I, I will say this is a movie that can be spoiled. So like, seriously, stop listening if you have not seen Glass Onion. And yeah, let's let's talk about it. I mean, I think, Daryl, you'd mentioned wanting to talk a little bit about Miles. Yes. I mean, it, yeah, it's like uh, he's it's such a it's an interesting character, I guess, for us, because it is like. I mean, there's been comparisons and I think they've even asked Ed Norton if his performance was based on elon musk right like that feels very timely for it but probably not actually for the time of when this was in production musk wasn't the figure that he is now i mean he probably was but he wasn't known to be the figure he is now like there's some right. stuff in this where it's so on the nose of like when the, the scene in particular that i'm thinking of is when benoit is pointing out like all the idiot things he says, which definitely was were great. Like those were great breadcrumbs to drop through the thing. And then, cause especially that first one, I forget what it is, but I was like, what, what did he just say? That's not a word. Yeah, and no, then, me too. That was such a brilliant way to go into it because it was driving me crazy. It was in breathe was the first. Word. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, the, the infraction point is yes. another one. And you're like, what is yes. And but that is so classically rich billionaire person. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that all of them are idiots like Miles Braun, who clearly is an idiot, like even from the planning of all of this stuff is an idiot. But like the idea that like I'm so smart and I've been given so much of the benefit of the doubt that I can just make shit up, literally just make something up. I mean, Elon running Twitter is kind of like a perfect example of that. He's not making up words, yeah, but he's literally making up how to run a social media company with zero experience doing so. And you're like, how are you getting the benefit of the doubt on this? Yeah. The, I mean, the words thing is like an easy shorthand to say, well, 
to do to convey that exact thing in the space of like a two-hour narrative whereas like elon's living it out in the more dramatic like harder to you it would be hard pressed to convey this in like a pithy way in, in a, a movie, movie. Yeah. but like he's absolutely doing that because then when he goes on stage with the uh was it chris rock oh uh no no uh, it's dave, dave chappelle. chappelle yeah so he goes on stage with dave chappelle and then like is booed and it's like and he's like reacts like what and then he does a poll and like should i leave and everyone's like yes you should leave and he's like huh because he has no idea that he's a complete no, yeah. idiot because most of the time he's surrounded by people who are like you're great and you're doing right. great things like jason calcantz for instance um wow okay just <laughs> oh, i'm right out there <laughs> i mean it's true though it's the truth yeah yeah because he goes and does his little group text chat and he's like yeah. guys I think what we'll do is we'll make the blue blue ticks pay for it. They're like, genius. I don't know why Jack never thought of that. You should win a prize. Yeah. And he's like, see, I totally got this, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I think so there's, I think that the details of Miles Brown and as a character are less to do with Elon Musk. And it's more like why Miles gets away with it is sort of the same reason that Elon gets away with it right. or, or for, for years has sort of gotten away with it. And um, I don't know that that's true. I mean, in the sense of like, he uh, like, like, yeah, that he just has this huge following that like worships everything he does. Right. So how he gets away with it late stage is the same way that Elon gets away with it late stage, which is that like, you've already accomplished something to the point where you have the benefit of the doubt kind of globally. Right. But like early stage, Miles got where he got by charm and deceit. And Elon is like the least charming human being. And there's no <laughs> changing that. Like I was right. listening to a podcast by Catherine Ryan recently. Do you guys know Catherine Ryan? No. She's a comedian and she's probably like my in top three comedians you have to go watch everything she's ever done but she has a podcast called telling everybody everything and she was talking about elon and she's actually really fair to him but she was like it she was like it cracks me up because he wants to spend time with all these comedians because he like really wants to be funny and he like tries jokes on twitter and he just like he it's the one thing he can't buy like yeah, he can absolutely. buy hair plugs and he can buy companies and he can buy power and you know, women and whatever else, children, you know, like limitless babies, but he can't buy being funny <laughs> no yeah. matter how hard he tries. Whereas Miles had, I think, some level of charm to him right? that got him in to this group, got him in a position where he could kind of like steal alpha and get away with it. And from there, the benefit of the doubt comes. Yeah, it's not a perfect one-to-one -one thing. I do think there's, yeah, it's, it, as you said, it's, it's more about the late stage thing of that particularly in America, but I think this is this is also globally true, is that there's just this sort of assumption of, oh, rich people must know something that we don't, right. because how would they have gotten rich otherwise? Yes. Um, and then I think there's that benefit of the doubt doubled for people who got rich from tech. And, you know, at, at their best, they were smart at one thing that allowed them to build like a successful mm -hmm. company. Often, you know, I think not even that smart at that. <laughs> but then there's this assumption that therefore they're geniuses who will solve everything for us. And I think also because a lot of times when we criticize them, it's still with the assumption that they're geniuses, right? When they talk about like Mark Zuckerberg or something like that, there's this idea that he's this evil genius who's ruining American democracy. And um, I think you can make an argument that he's moving, ruining American democracy, but I don't think he's an evil genius. Right. And, and so there's something really just so satisfying when Benoit Blanc is just like, 
you're so dumb. Yeah. It's so stupid. And, and there's, it just is viscerally. I'm just like, yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you yeah. for this. It's, it is, it's like a definite, like everybody is sympath. I think the entire audience sympathizes with that in a really profound way. But I think he's like, as you were talking about that, he reminds me more of a Steve Jobs character than, a, than an Elon character, right? Like he doesn't have any technical proficiency himself and he's just very good at like using the things provided to him in a way that maximizes their potential and I mean, doesn't to Elon himself. technically not have any like uh, I mean, didn't he just like read books on astrophysics yeah yeah oh absolutely <laughs> like the, when it comes to rocket physics I mean he, and I mean all these companies were, had other founders who were more technically knowledgeable yes. than he had. PayPal yeah, yeah. SpaceX Tesla I do think it's interesting though that like when someone reaches a certain threshold in terms of affluence and like professional success it kind of goes against human nature to attribute that to skill. Right. Like human nature tells us that when someone does well, our like need to compare. When someone does well, it's luck. When they do poorly, it's their bad skill or poor decision making. When I do well, it's skill. And when I do poorly, it's bad luck. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes against the grain of like human psychology and how we look at each other. It's like there's this certain threshold someone can hit. Where you're like, no, it couldn't have been luck. It had to have been skill. And now I'm going to give them the full skill benefit of the doubt rather than call them lucky for succeeding when I I didn't. don't think it's quite as like, oh, if they're better, it's always if they're better or if they're worse, it's one or the other. I think it's it's more like there's two competing urges because, and I think especially if you want, if you see yourself or, or, or you know, they're an aspirational figure in some way. And so I think, again, particularly why people who have been successful in, in tech businesses we give them this credit is partly because it's it's and they get the credit from people who want to be like them and they want to say oh if i do the exact same things elon did one day i'll be as wealthy as he is and and so you want to attribute it to skill because then you think with the same skills you can achieve the same thing right yeah it's interesting and i mean i think it's similar from i mean i i think i'm guilty of it more in sort of like um like creative or artistic fields is there's this temptation to be like oh the the directors or the writers who became the most successful are the ones who had the most skill and therefore if and i just like can apply the same skill i could yeah. be like have the same level of success when actually it's a complete crapshoot too yeah i think most success is a combination of skill and luck yeah for sure it's a fallacy to look at it any other way i mean it, it's always been luck for me skill is no <laughs> No such. There's no such thing. As skill. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. Right I feel now. like there. Come people, for the controversial. We, there's certainly an absence of skill. Skill. The existence of skill can be demonstrated by its absence in certain people. Mm, yeah, that is. Oh my wow, goodness. Wow, we That's are quite an advanced. Cracking here. the nut wide yeah. open today. <laughs> so obviously, the, the revelation about Miles is, comes partly because it's about his relationship with Andy, who is a character played by Janelle Monet and um was basically his partner at this tech company and it seems like essentially she had the original idea for the company according to this napkin it seems very suspect yeah. as far as i the don't know how of the napkin revolutionary is on it and also like a big part of it is it says crypto something or other um it does yeah that's the part that i drew and i was like what this is supposed to be how many years ago they invented <laughs> right. crypto too and and so andy is coming on this trip which everyone is shocked by because at this point miles has pushed her out um and they're like well why is andy coming um we all have this distance because everybody chose miles over andy 
And then halfway through the movie, you see Andy get shot. And then there's a big flashback. And it's revealed that, in fact, Andy was dead for the entire course of the film. Um, and instead, her twin sister, Helen, um, has hired Benoit to, to solve Andy's murder. And that's why Benoit is there. And then he's brought Helen to impersonate Andy and try to get to the bottom of this. What did you guys think of that twist? It was, I mean, I think it, it would strain, I, you know, it does strain credulity, but it, it it's effective in this kind of thing where everything is already a caricature and over the top, right? I think it was good there. I think the it gave um, Janelle Monae a little bit of, scenery to chew on to playing up her accent differences which is kind of nice i i think the hardest part about this whole thing for me to believe and it is very possible that i totally missed like a good explanation for this uh because i nodded off or something again i was tired when i watched this and i kept kind of dipping in and out of levels of awareness but the the part where like she gets shot and it doesn't kill her because she has a what is this journal her sister's her journal, journal her yeah. sister's journal yeah and then made of titanium and and because benoit is kind of like hey like i don't want you to get hurt doing this but then he's very quickly like well but you know like i really fucking want to do this mystery because it's juicy as shit and then she that happens to her and i'm like this is not an acceptable risk like he's a bad person and i don't know how i can Oh, buddy, come on. Get the (laughs) fuck over yourself. This suspends... Yeah, you. This suspends so much reality from the get. For you to be worried about her safety is just sheer silliness. There's a famous New Orleans detective. Have you ever heard... Do you know... Can can you name a single detective, Daryl? Yeah. What do you mean? Like in real life? Yeah, in real no, life. I, I was going to say Hercule Poirot. Because it doesn't exist. And I was going to say, like, Miss Marple. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> cool. There's no such thing as, like, a real nonfiction famous detective that doesn't exist, especially, like, from New Orleans or whatever. Hmm. No. Not. So, from the get, I mean, this dude has, like, a glass onion, and we're talking about, like, crystallized whatever methane whatever whatever it is source yeah yeah i mean like you're so far gone from that that the plot armor around all of these characters is so big i mean they literally killed the only one that they could have which was big meathead and you know the whole time no one else is gonna die so i don't know what you're worried about so because you see uh the janelle Monet character get shot um and that's when the flashback begins and i have to say that when I mean, it's the bulk of this whole thing. Yeah, right? and then yeah. so when when that flashback begins, I had assumed I assumed that Janelle Monet was dead. Um, and then I think you start to then be like, oh wait, they're introducing this whole other sister. She's the one who got killed because her sister's already dead. That seems really dark. They both That's get what, killed off, and I then thought. you see this specific scene where Benoit. They're trying to let Benoit the hook because he says. I don't want you to come. And she says, I really, really want to come. I accept the danger. Yeah. And then you start to think, oh, I think they're going to find a way that she's not dead. But I, oh, I, yeah, didn't, I didn't figure think that she out was right dead, away. But I also thought like, because they, then they did that. And I was like, that's clumsy. Like, oh, I guess it's on her then. Like, that he's a shitty guy. But I, I just knew there was no way that the good guys 
we're going to end up dead. Right. From the, there's just no way, especially what you're saying, Anthony, when you find out the original sister is already dead, there's no way mm-hmm. the second sister's dead. Like the second they were like, oh, yeah, she's dead. I was like, oh, well, then that gunshot must have been some sort of red herring because they can't have the two good sisters dead that's just ultimately not what this movie is about it can't be right you can't have a happy ending if Mm-mm. that many people, good people have died but i th- i think um i mean I've, i feel a little bad for dave batista in this because i'm like is he, he, wasn't all, he wasn't all that bad yeah oh no i don't feel bad at all you mean you feel bad for the actor or the, du- no, the actual no, character like, oh well it's too bad he died too i guess he was trying to do a sh- a he's bunch like of the most stuff. evil of them all <laughs> what are you talking well are you but i think the crack this morning like, that's what is part of murder mysteries a few good people have to die like if, if, if only he's like, not if, good i i mean he's not Bro, okay, let's make right, the whoa, case for why he's at he's whoa, he's really bad okay. and deserve to die. Make the I case for why good. he deserves to die. I don't think that Andrew Tate deserves <laughs> to die either. But if he dies, I'm not gonna be like, oh shucks. Oh, compare him to Andrew Tate. Oh yeah, I guess he kind of is. I guess he that's is. Fair. He's like the bro man, man dom. He loves Twitch streamer. He's very men's rights. Yeah. yeah, who's carrying around a gun and firing it off on a Greek island just to show he has it in his fucking speedo, and he's plotting with his girlfriend to get more famous. He's like an influence. He's all the things that we hate, and you're worried and sad that he died. I felt. I don't feel bad even a little bit. Like, oh yeah, they're incels, but like, we should feel bad for the conditions that drove them to that, which is not. Oh. <laughs> that's like what i was doing I realized. what did you drink last night tell us what you drank i did a lot of lambrusco which is a bubbly red orange juice <laughs> i mean all of all of the all of like miles's friends are meant to be at least a insufferable. little insufferable totally bad. yes yes and of course but i think he's the worst i would i would prefer a bad um uh nefarious politician we have plenty of them they're most all of them basically are nefarious I still voted for Hillary. I think she's nefarious. I th- would take Birdie in a heartbeat, like dumber than she is evil, I think. Easy to read. Uh, science dude, eh, you know, like he's out here right. doing his best. Like he's got hesitations, but who hasn't chosen their p- career over their morality at some point? And every day, then, every damn day, every fucking day, I do it. And. <laughs> And then you have Broman. And I just right. can't. He's got to be at the top of the list. He was the only one who could have died. Yeah, no, he was. I think he also was from like a... I don't want to say this without being mean. Because I think I've respected that Dave Batista. I don't know. Who cares if I'm fucking mean to Dave Batista? What the hell am I thinking? But like the... I know he has real aspirations on being a serious dramatic actor. And he was fantastic in Blade Runner 20. 20- Right, that's actually his best performance is, yes. is in Blade Runner. I'm a little bit suspicious about how he has an expanded role in the sequel to Blade Runner 2049. I'm a little bit worried about that, but it could it could be good. But like the for me from a I'm thinking about this movie and creating this movie, he can't he can't remain alive because I don't he's like I don't think he's able to carry like the role of being red herring or the role of being like or of not giving it away or any like i don't think he's a capable enough actor to pull off 
any more fun in that way like i think he's like i'm this guy and this is like i'm this caricature of a men's rights or joe rogan character and then i have to go um because i'm not going to add anything beneficial to the plot as you get into the like the whodunit section well and there's no redemption either like with the politician what's her face she clearly has like misgivings throughout yeah and you like it's painted throughout that she's like this is wrong i don't want to do things that are wrong i'm like i'm not winning that battle but like i clearly have a moral center and like there's no moral center to him from the get so there's no redemption for him either not only can he not carry on the mystery or like make it more fun but he can't end up getting our forgiveness either i don't think i mean i think that actually the only other person they could have killed off and it sort of would have served the same function as if they'd done um, Birdie because she's also kind of similarly over the top and you don't get a sense of her humanity the way you do with the uh, Catherine Hahn or Leslie Odom Jr. who's the scientist characters because they're always mm-hmm. like whispering off to the side about like, oh, this like, is bad. Oh, we this can't let this happen. Like this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Whereas I think Birdie and Duke, they don't really seem to have a lot of moral misgivings. They're just sort of really yeah, over the top. Yeah, I think you're top. right about that. But yeah. um, but Kate Hudson costs more, so you get more screen time out of her, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I would say, I mean, both Kate Hudson and Dave Bautista are great in those roles. Yes. These very over-the-top roles. Um, so as you say, like, we sort of realize there's kind of these two murders uh, that that they're trying to solve. Because um, I think you go into thinking maybe Miles will be killed and they'll have to solve Miles' mystery. But instead, um, it's Duke and then Andy. And then at that point, especially when you think about Andy, you're like, well, the obvious killer is Miles. Yeah. And and in a way, this this movie does sort of say, oh, yes, it's the obvious thing. And, and Benoit gives this whole speech where he says, you know, I kept the problem I had was I kept thinking there should be layers to this, but there's no layers. It's right. Just right. The dumb, obvious thing. Which is great when he talks about the metaphor of the glass. Thing. It's like the point of it is it has layers, but you can see right through them. Right. Like that's very clever but yeah mm-hmm. and i found that very again very sad again because part of it is just illustrating how dumb miles is i was like yeah okay i'm, I'm i okay was with completely that. satisfied with it yeah yes. and i wasn't actually i think one of the things that i like about this movie that sometimes doesn't happen with the same like murder mystery flashback you know peel the onion so to speak movie is that, like i didn't feel competitive throughout this movie so I think sometimes when you're watching it and it's like meant to trick you, there's something slightly frustrating about that because the competitor in me is like, I want to have solved it, but you've made it impossible, right? Mm-hmm. To to have solved it without giving us this information. And I was like, because it's so funny and lighthearted and because it's kind of like so dumb and you have all of these rich cast members who are like distracting you basically i just never felt compelled to solve the mystery i was really like along for the ride that could be more about me than it is about the average viewer but like yeah i never felt like i was working hard watching Mm -hmm. yeah no it's not it i mean i think that they're yeah yeah, i think they share that where it's like not really like a uh play along whodunit type experience in either case it's more like uh just watch because it's very interesting and see what's what's happening right yeah um but yeah and i i think i i loved i mean yeah we talked about the performances but the 
I really love Dead Nortons too. I have to say, and I don't know that we've talked enough about that. I think he did. I think he has a lot of fun. There was the very funny. Inter- I think he was in a press tour doing an interview, and people were asking about how he was difficult, and he 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 misdirected and said like, I forget what it was, but it was like other people like. There's lots of stories of people being difficult in movies or whatever, but um, I was th- that was in the back of my head of like, oh yeah, you don't see Ed Norton that much, but then also like that comes up, but like, and as long as he's not totally awful to work with, you get so much out of him when he's having a good time. Like he is fantastic in this, right? But, yeah. I mean, it could have been character acting too. Yeah. The fun thing yeah. about Ed Norton is he also uh, is the co-founder of a tech startup, which I've interviewed him for. for oh, tech really? Launch. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a basically a sort of like measuring ad creative effectiveness startup. Oh, so fucking random. And he, you know, I mean, he. I remember when I interviewed, he gave this whole passionate speech about how, like, you know, the creative fields are being transformed, and that's why, you know, we need to do something like this. And 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 yes, like you, you know, at a certain point, acting it can only be so satisfying. And I find that like this being like a co-founder is so satisfying this whole other way. So in a lot of ways, it feels like oh, this he kind of he has some things in common. He has miles. life experience to prepare for the role. Wow. Hmm. So I think in terms of like. I agree with you. Ed Norton played this role superbly. And um, in in terms of some of my favorite scenes, when they sit down for dinner and Benoit solves the entire murder mystery is probably one of my favorite moments. And can barely contain Miles. (laughs) Watching Miles like the He's like, what do we win? An iPad. And he's like, okay, so here we go. So here's how everything. Who did he say he hired to write it? That was so good. Oh, it was Jillian. Oh yeah, Gone Girl. One who drove Gone Girl. <laughs> yeah, Jillian Flynn, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, the iPad was awesome. Just... So okay, whoever wins an iPad, sure. Um, but watching the air literally leave Miles' lungs as it all plays out, yeah. and everyone kind of like be giddy about it was really funny. Um, and then later the uh, like the. Um callback with the ipad pro was Mm -hmm. fantastic like the upgraded price for (laughs) so there's also this this scene later uh towards the end that i i heard of on another podcast the the film cast um where there's a scene so the way that essentially uh it kind of plays out at the end is that miles is revealed as the villain mm-hmm. um but he's also like i'm gonna get away with it because no one is going to move against me go against me and also there's this very dumb thing where she's holding the, the, the sort of the that, big piece of evidence of the napkin she's holding it up and then he that just might be my least favorite part of the, mo- the movie <laughs> me too yeah, that i was thought stupid. that was so dumb to do all that work to then just let him light it on fire is the dumbest shit right world. yeah it was really stupid um so then she just starts smashing everything and and it turns and Benoit's like, I can't help you, but remember, I forget exactly what he says, but basically he's like, I'm gonna give you this one thing that you're gonna remember. And it turns out to be a little piece of the like crystallized energy, which is part of what divided um Miles. It is the main thing that divided Miles and Andy in the first place, because Andy's like, I don't wanna like it's go for this, yeah, this cheap energy source that'll actually just blow a bunch of things up. And so then she uses that to basically explode um, his glass onion. And yet everyone lives. Right. <laughs> Which, again, that was a little tough to believe. Um, and then he's also got the Mona Lisa on loan. And so sort of the thing that um, kind of seals her victory over him 
is that uh, there's this protective covering that opens and closes over the Mona Lisa. And so she runs over and opens it so that the Mona Lisa gets burned. And I did have a, I mean, it's so stupid because obviously the real Mona Lisa is fine, but I did have a little bit of discomfort in that scene where you're like, I'm, am I cheering for the Mona Lisa burning? And I, right. and they brought that up on the film cast too. Somebody was like, I, I had a really hard time with that scene. I just thought the whole Mona Lisa thing was a little bit, like it took me one layer outside of not it burning, but it's just existence as part of the plot. Right. Was felt like it didn't have the right payoff. I actually think the fact that it burned helped because then that was like the fate ceiling of your new energy source has let the Mona Lisa burn. You know, no matter what evidence we have, you're fully canceled and done with. But it just, that being a part of the story and him, oh, I want to be mentioned in the same breath as the Mona Lisa, his inspiration to go be whatever, successful, mm-hmm. the thing like sliding up and down. The whole time I felt myself like a little bit like, I'm kind of over the Mona Lisa thing a little right. bit. You know, like it does, it's just like one layer too suspended of my disbelief or whatever. It, I think it was fun uh conceptually like it was fun using the mona lisa and this is where i think it's like i'm a i'm okay with it in the way that i'm okay with a lot of the other cartoonish elements of this like um but yet somehow not the benoit putting janelle Monet's life in danger or whatever but anyways like it's it's like he's using it as a giant ridiculous chekhov's gun he's like well if you if a mona lisa appears in the first scene then by the end of the movie it has to have been destroyed <laughs> like it's very uh over and you kind of know that it's gonna happen the whole time and you're like fuck they're gonna destroy the mona lisa <laughs> but is, will it be worth it but it, i mean it is in the fiction of the universe yeah like the i guess like the film cast hits where you're like oh yeah right um it's funny because i thought you were i don't know why i thought you were gonna do this but i thought you're gonna reference the like uh paul thomas anderson homage which was like very fun oh i don't know what you're talking about so there's the scene where he had uh they're like pre-success and they're in the bar or whatever um or one of the scenes in the bar i think they have a few different check-ins at the bar as they Mm -hmm. progress but um ed norton is is dressed and quaffed exactly like uh tom cruise in magnolia because he is effectively a confidence man in the same way, mm. right? Um, which I think is a, a genuine actual, I think Ryan... Um, Johnson. Yes, Johnson, thank you, uh, is on record saying that, yeah, that was like an intentional homage to to PTA. But yeah, PTA, as I call him, you know. <laughs> yeah, your, your buddy, bud. your old friend. <laughs> and he always makes fun of me for calling anybody by their first name. She's like, you don't know that. Okay. I love in the bar scene that they don't bother to make the young makeup convincing at all. It's just no. like the most silly, ridiculous, like especially the Dave Bautista wig. You're just like, oh my God, that's the worst. And I love it. I and mean, then that's great. Like you don't, I, I just think more movies should and be And the Ed Norton wrinkles. Bad makeup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. saw some interesting discussion about these this wasn't makeup but uh dave batista's head wrinkles which were intense oh those are amazing head wrinkles yeah 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 
They are really intense. I remember thinking that in the movie. I also felt like this is probably unfair, but like I just felt slightly bothered because I do really enjoy watching things that involve the ultra affluent and their like homes and their design choices and things like that. Like just the utmost luxury and scale, like beauty and aesthetic and all of these things. And like to have a private island on Greece that is decorated that way was really like not actively perturbed me, but like under the under the hood, I was like mm. always a little bothered by it. Like the glass statues everywhere and like the sometimes like Victorian almost style decor around the dinner and then the red velvet sunken and the 80s style, like, you know, the glass square, the glass tile wall that they're right. walking down. Mm -mm. Like none of it matched. None of it no, made not any at all. sense. It was all super indulgent. There it was, was all just like very few like I have an cool, urge for this, so therefore do this. Right. Yeah. There was very full few like cool gadgets that like did interesting, fun things within the home, which I think is part of the like one of the biggest benefits of being rich. Um well, and the other benefit of being rich is you you hire someone with taste to design to your home and make you. it beautiful and not be like, okay, I'll have like a glass sculpture here and like a glass dock. Although I did think that that was funny, the, the whole piece of shit thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Is that a bank? <laughs> stupid Banksy dock was made, <laughs> was made at low tide. <laughs> it doesn't float. That was very good. Did you guys have a favorite cameo? Oh. Cameo. I don't Were there any know cameos? About the cameos in this oh, movie. sure. I mean, there's <laughs> Ethan oh. Hawke shows up as the the guy who sprays. Um, yeah, who they're not. The COVID isn't cure. a cameo that they show up as themselves? No, no it doesn't have no. to be. Yeah, they can just show, pop in for a moment. Like the Hugh Grant was very good. Hugh too. Grant was really good. Yeah, I didn't even notice yeah, the, Ethan Hawke. The Ethan Hawke one was good because I was like. Oh, Ethan Hawke's in this, and then he just never came back. <laughs> right, but then there are also people who play themselves, like like Stephen Sondheim and Angela Lansbury show up as themselves playing Among Us with Benoit, which that was probably my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Serena Williams is in it as uh. The, oh, as that one was trainer. really good. Are you gonna work out? Well, it's your money. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that one was great. Yeah, yeah. That one, was and then really good. one that I did not catch in the film, but I was delighted to find out afterwards is that the voice that goes dong on the island is joseph gordon levitt wow <laughs> that one's good i really liked also the character that plays um big meathead's mom oh yeah jackie hoffman she's great yeah and she was there solving the puzzle all along he's like yeah. shut up mom <laughs> but i will say too the one where um I, we don't know that it's actually her sister but when Janelle Monae just smashes the puzzle box, that was extremely satisfying. After they've all, after that elaborate montage scene of them yeah. solving it, yeah, uh, I did like that as an opening scene. To like, I mean, it did oh, yeah. so much work in getting to know the characters and in this like unifying way, where you don't have to go through another twenty minutes of like, and here's this person. They're all on the phone. They're all doing the same activity, and you kind of get what's going on instantly in a pretty delightful way. Yeah, I mean. I will. I, I like the range of characters. It's definitely also something where you're like, there's no way you guys are friends in real no. life. There's no, no disruptors. Have... Shoot me. No, but I like the <laughs> not just that they're obnoxious, but their 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 career paths are so different. You're like, no, how did you guys in meet years. in the first place? 
But what I like about that, and it's drawn in a in a, again like a simplified way, but it I think it reflects reality. Is that like, oh yeah, like people get rich and hit things big, and then they drop. Like they sure. they establish the people around them, and they put them in place, and there's all this nepotism, and that's how you get like these. And those people and are like power, right? The likelihood that that person floats away from you goes down tenfold. So like someone right. that had like a loose connection is suddenly like, hey. <laughs> let's do this i want right. to hang out you're so great and so they like establish themselves i also think it's not too far out of reality to think that andy i mean they did a lot of heavy lifting with like one or two lines which was like they're all andy's friends like andy mm -hmm. had this magnetism or whatever but like it's not too far out of reality that there's always that one person in the friend group who's like the one that everyone's kind of like attracted to and that brings in the new people and makes the connections and does a lot of the like group formation work. For sure. I think that they do enough that it justifies it. It's just, I think that when you, it's one of those things it's heightened because it's a heightened yeah, reality. And if you think about it in a realistic way, you're kind of like, wow, this is even for a very sort of diverse friend group. This is pretty all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I, I really recommend it. Any, any final thoughts? No, I think it's great. Um, seemed like it had a good runtime too. I don't know what the actual runtime is, but seemed efficient as a movie. Might have been a bit longer than I suspected, but just it felt a like a little over two quick. hours. Yeah, 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 it's like just right for the cost of the cast. I would assume you can't go ninety minutes with something like this. Yeah, if you're spending that much. So yeah, and and because you do actually, I I would if anything enjoyed a little bit more time to get to know some of the characters, right. like the Catherine Hahn character. Yeah. So, yeah, I also thought it was good. I'd be interested to see numero uno if I have the time or the desire one day. I'm not going to, like, run off and do it. But, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I liked it. Yeah. It, it also makes me excited for the third one. Although, so, I mean, part of what it has in common with the, the first one that you don't really realize until halfway through is that the, the real hero is not... Benoit, it's basically a working class woman of color who comes into this right. rich context. Um, but they, so they get away with it here because they sort of just reveal that halfway through. Um, I'm curious how they're going to try to presumably still stay true to that, but not have it feel totally predictable or formulaic in the third one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it is one of the strengths of all of these is that um, as good as, and as sort of like scene chewing as, um daniel craig is yeah they're not they don't center on him right and i think to great effect but we'll you know we'll see if they can keep that up in a way that's convincing and that is like not like easily predictable or anything like that but i wonder too how he feels just overall about like he went straight from Bond into this, and now it's like, <laughs> you doomed to be Benoit for the rest of your days? I mean, all the interviews he gives, he says he's totally fine. He's like, I'll make as many of these as Ryan will, yeah. which, I mean, you know, it's only the second one, so maybe he's still in the honeymoon phase. But, I mean, unlike Bond, I mean, it's, it's a franchise, but he doesn't have to physically put himself into danger. And he's not That's like, true. you don't he read these reports of him breaking his knee, breaking his knuckles or whatever, the way you do with Bond. So it's probably more fun. I get the sense, but it definitely seems a lot more fun. Yeah, just hang out with famous people. Yeah, exactly. Cool hang places. out, make jokes with famous people. Uh, I'm sure the cast parties for these are just a fucking roaring good times. 
Well, if you have seen Glass Onion and you have thoughts, you can shoot us an email, originalcontentpod at gmail.com. That's originalcontentpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Original Content. And we always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choosing. Thank you so much for listening. Daryl and Jordan, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Later, Gator.